Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, well, we're in our series, Behold Him, and uh, the title of today's message is Prince of Peace. You had to know that was coming, I, I assume. You, you thought we'd talk about Prince of Peace. Um, one, of those, one of those titles that Jesus has from the book of Isaiah, one of those realities that if you're paying attention, we see lived out as followers of Jesus uh, in our lives almost every day. Um, but not for everyone. And uh, so let's just, let's just dive right in. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is, uh, for, un- for a child will be born to us, sorry, the translation I'm reading today, a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And that last one is what I want you to behold. Behold him, behold the Prince of Peace. Um, because I see a lot of people in our world today who have very little peace. Now, I know, I know that's, I'm preaching to the choir probably as we sit here enjoying church together um, in our relative grasps of freedom and equality and, and all things in the world today. Um, and don't get me wrong, even though I don't see a lot of peace, I do see a lot of people doing their best to be brave. I, I see brave faces. I see people exerting huge amounts of energy to hold it together, to be strong, to keep it together. And those can be admirable things. I see a lot of holding on for dear life. I'm not going to let go no matter what. I just got to hold on a little longer till we get through this. But I want you to notice something today by the Spirit of God that that is not peace. It's not holding it together is not peace. Working hard is not peace. Being brave is not peace. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit on us in a way, God, that allows us to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Father, I pray for for some folks who have known me for a long time this morning and the voice maybe just starts to get a little drowned out. Lord, I pray that what would be heard today is your heart for your people, for each one of us, God. And we just pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, because you say when we ask anything in his name, it'll be given to us. So amen. All right. So let's draw a distinction between effort, hard work, and peace. And there's a hint in the title of the message and in this title of who Jesus is, Prince of Peace. Uh, Just think what what that means, maybe. You can start to stretch your mind, your imagination. Uh, Because the peace that Jesus brings is a peace that flows out of who he really is. It's not, it's not like Jesus had to be created into something that made him a bringer of peace or the Prince of Peace. He, Jesus did not go, just so you know, even though Jesus was born of a virgin as a human baby and had to grow up, uh, think about the fact that Jesus had to go through some kind of a potty training process. In all of that, Jesus never had to go through a process of self-realization as to who he was being the Son of God. So while he had to learn and be taught, Jesus literally, he actually studied scripture like all the other Hebrew kids as a child. I'm pretty sure he was naturally good at it, you know, in that supernatural kind of sense. But nonetheless, he had to go through this process. But Jesus has never gone through a process of self-realization. I just want to assure you of that. Why? Because the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't need to develop an ego. Jesus doesn't need to develop a personality. Jesus doesn't need to develop an awareness of who he is or his power. Jesus had to come in the flesh for our 
ability to relate to him. Do you get that? Jesus came in the flesh for the sake of our ability to relate to him, not so much for his ability to relate to us. All right? Now, it's important to keep these things uh, categorically correct because it really does matter uh, when we build doctrine down the road and we'll do- when we build doctrine in a moment, actually. It's so important for us to understand. Um, so the Prince of Peace, that title, indicates that his peace comes from a place of authority. Right? If you're the prince of something... There is, there is a certifiable sense of authority that comes with that. Even though we live in an age where monarchies are mostly symbolic in most places of the world, there still is the understanding that someone with a, with a, with a royal title actually does wield a specific authority. And so for Jesus to wield the title or to have the title or own the title or be given the title, the Prince of Peace, understand that that peace then comes from a place of authority. It also comes from a place that actually has legal power and legal standing in the heavenly places and in earthly places. And that is why Philippians 4, 7, when we read, we find that the peace of God will pass all understanding and it guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I like how the Amplified version of the Bible reads this the best. So let's read it together. Philippians 4, 7 in the Amplified says, And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus is yours. Now, why is that peace yours? Because it was delegated by someone who had the authority to delegate it. It It's given to you. It's imparted to you because of authority. This is why the title of the message is Behold Him. Behold the Prince of Peace. Because you can't miss this today. You can't miss the fact that Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the Prince of Peace. And that the way God established his entrance and his departure from this world, and even the remnant of who he is that remains in the Holy Spirit of God, that, that this is a place of God's intent, his, his idea for legal standing, even with himself. Do you understand that, that God operates by a law and he is that law? And, and in that, we can, to some extent, become a little systematic to, in our understanding. But basically, let me boil it down to a very blue-collar, simple understanding. It works this way. Well, if God said it, that's how it is then. Like legally. Just how it is. His word is his bond. It's like spitting and handshaking, and it's a done deal. Now, some of you don't know about that, that that's the way. But Amy and I, when we bought our farm, we literally bought our farm. We moved onto that property on the basis of a handshake. This is insane in this day and age. But with the owner, I shook his hand, we arrived at a price, and we did not sit down with the lawyer until after we had moved in and they had moved out. That is crazy in today's world. People, the lawyer even was just kind of going, what the heck have you guys, you can't do this without us. Well, we're like, well, we can because we're old school. And we did. And it worked out great, and we're, we're happy to call those, that older couple our friends to this day. It's, it was awesome. I love it. But see, there, 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 there's a time that maybe we don't understand because we're so used to living in a world of deception that what someone says is what it is, and it goes. And, and I think that this is something that Satan loves to erode in our cultures, in our societies, and in our families, that you can't take anyone or anything at their word anymore. But that's not so with God. 
Because God is established in and of his own authority, in and of his own reality. And when he dictates that his son will be called Prince of Peace, that is a delegated authority and a delegated impartation that is both sovereign and supernatural in its reality and in its effect. It's not just the title. And I want to state this, forgive me if I overstate, but that title can be your reality. The title, Prince of Peace, that Jesus is, because he lives in you by his spirit, that title can be our reality. It's both Old Testament and New Testament doctrine combined. And it can be something that flows out of our lives at all times, in all places, and in every circumstance. And I know that you know. But at the same time, I know that we don't know. Because we would see it in a different way if we were living it in that way. <clears throat> the Hebrew word for peace, anybody, can anybody guess the Hebrew word for peace? Anybody know it? Who said that? Okay. Andrea did? Oh, Andrea. I was hoping it would be a kid because uh, it's okay. Andrea is so... No, no, I'm finding a new... I'm giving prizes away for right answers today. Andrea, you are the proud winner of a pack of gum today for having the right answer. Yeah. I hope it's not used. So There are little people that come to the front for gum sometimes, and they will take a gum out of the middle of a package. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, you're not, not really supposed to. Those gums are for me to give away in my messages. All right? So, so yeah, but, but shalom. And I, and I love the word shalom, even though we are out of touch with it. In the Hebrew culture, that is the greeting and it's the farewell. It is the beginning of an interaction and the end of an interaction or even a transaction. That's how it begins and it ends with peace. And peace in, in the Hebrew language is a much, much more potent word than what we have watered it down to in English. English is truly an amazing language because it encompasses uh, so many realities, and it actually is extremely descriptive. But because it's so descriptive with so many options in its words, it actually has a tendency to water down a lot of words. That's why people who, who learn English, uh, sometimes they, they get a little frustrated because in their, in their mother tongue, they'll have a word that so perfectly encompasses what they mean in one profound word. And in English, we're like, we need a thesaurus and a dictionary and a few sentences to kind of arrive at the same understanding of a word. How many of you have found this to be true? If you're paying attention, you'll, you'll notice this more and more from now on, I promise you. So this word, uh, shalom, is, we have, we have this one for you on screen as a definition. It means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. Now, it actually means all of those things, and individually it means those things. And so we, we have, first of all, the completeness. It's completeness in the sense of number or, or of, of a collective sense of completeness. So um, peace, peace in that case, a good example might be that our family is all together. Like the whole number of us is here. Or the whole number of our church is gathered for Christmas. And it's not, it's not about the technical completeness, but it's about the sense of how things are right when we are together. 
Okay, relational rightness. Then, then the second way to understand is that word soundness. And so safety, soundness in the body. We probably relate well to soundness in our body the best because how many of you know when it gets to minus 39, like it did at my place earlier this week, and you got to get out of bed to go do something like, I don't know, chores, check cows, start a vehicle, whatever it might be, you notice that as you get older, your body just hurts more and more the lower the thermometer drops. Right? And, and, and it's weird as we get older, for those of you who are in this stage of life with us, that our body doesn't feel quite as sound as it used to. Isn't that awkward? Things start to hurt. You do something you used to be able to do, and you found out that you pulled a muscle, which turned into a tear, which turned into all kinds of problems, and oh my goodness, eventually you might need surgery to repair it. But you're still going to do life. So soundness of body is that sense of health. You know the days where you're just not fighting any kind of a cold or flu off? That's the soundness of body days. And we, we in this season don't get to live through a lot of those for sure. But they are coming once again. Okay? Uh, so the third, welfare. Now the sense of soundness could be confused with welfare, but it's really not. The sense of welfare, that kind of peace, welfare, health, that there's nothing coming for you, that there's a sense of prosperity, not that you have a lot of money, but that all your need is supplied for and you are able to be willfully content without working hard at it. That's a sense of peace that God talks about in the word shalom as well. And then you have, uh, you have uh, the, the fourth word, you have this idea of peace, quiet, tranquility, and contentment of soul. And we feel that peace when we're in a restful place, maybe in nature. And you sit by a lake and you have a fly rod. Some of you know how good that stuff is. Yeah, Ryder, I see that hand. That is a beautifully calm, serene, wonderful, peaceful place to be. Others of you, it's ripping on a 160-horsepower two-stroke machine to the top of the mountain. Some of you, it's just your little kids slept longer and you get to sit there with a cup of coffee and your house is quiet right? That's shalom too. That's also shalom. And then we have a peace that is friendship and human relationship. And that's what we talk about when we talk about we wish for peace on earth. So many of our Christmas carols reference peace on earth. Why do they reference that? Because the Christmas story is about the Prince of Peace. And then we come to the spiritual part. Because peace, shalom, is about peace between men. But more importantly, shalom is about peace with God, especially in the understanding of covenant relationship. See, covenant relationship is something for you and I that sadly not everyone gets to know the way some of us get to know it. As you are married longer in life, and especially when things go well, and you have overcome obstacles and difficulty, and you have been through hard times, when you have that friend who is your spouse, and you know without a doubt that the covenant you have made will last for your whole life long, and nothing can shake that, that, that instills a sense of peace that is so profound. And, I, I, and this is why I pray before a message like this, because I know there's some of you sitting in this room today who are going, what the hell, pastor? I don't have that sense of peace. See, I used the word hell appropriately there, just so you know. Totally. Because it is from hell that we don't have peace. It is. But that peace can be ours. Why? Because it's been dictated by an authority who is Prince of Peace. 
finally, we have peace from war, which really that's what humankind thinks about when we say that. And it's sad for me to say we've watered it down because I don't really mean that you can water peace down by saying, wouldn't it be great if we had no more war? I mean, that, that would be great. But I don't know if anybody's paying attention. We do not have peace from war. In fact, as far as I can tell, we're more in danger of war today than we have been for the last hundred years. True story. So Shalom. This is who he is, the Prince of Shalom. And I know we get it, like I said before, but I'm also seeing that we don't get it all the time. Or maybe even most of the time or a lot of the time. For some reason, in the busyness of life, it seems that, uh, that many have mistaken lethargy and apathy for peace. People mistake withdrawing from everything as peace when it's not. In fact, in many cases, the withdrawal of you from a situation only does more to bring less peace into the situation that was there. And so we fall for a lie that says, well, if you pull back, if you pull out, if you quit, if you hide, then there will be peace. If you run away, there will be peace. Guys, if peace was that easy to find, peace would not need to be established in any kind of authority. Think about it. Why does peace have to be established in authority? Because it takes authority to bring peace. Without authority, there will never be peace. I think so. Not sure they do, but it's good. We know it's good. I know you know it's good, but let the words get into your heart. What I mean to say in this is that sometimes we fall for this false sense of peace because basically our only qualification is that we're not running around like beheaded poultry. Okay, for those of you who are a little slow this morning, not running around like a chicken with its head cut off. <clears throat> Some of us are so out of touch with where our food comes from, we have no idea what that means anymore. <laughs> Come to the farm day, the Sutherland boys would love to show you how it works. There, those Sutherland boys. Christine has raised three vicious killers, let me tell you. <laughs> they, they, like, they like chicken days if they come out to our place. Um, they're not crazy, though, don't worry. They're, you, they're, it's okay. Just saying they like the whole chicken thing very much. Um, but see, we, we fall for it that, well, I'm not running around like a crazy person, therefore I have peace. But the peace we're talking about is found... Not on the surface of your life, but in the soul, in the heart of who you are. Shalom can be the greeting and it can be the ending, but in between is where peace is actually found and where peace actually accomplishes something and where peace actually must be an authority in the situation, in a person's life. I want you to know that this is maybe the secret of life for you in this season. I don't know. But I want you to know that peace, the kind that really is peace, that, that, that dictated by the Prince of Peace, that authoritative peace, it creates a holy confidence and faith in what God is doing, what God has done, and what God is about to do. That's what peace is for. 
And you see, that kind of peace is found and known and obtained by moving forward into the things, into the moments that you don't know. Anybody can create some level of peace standing where they are or telling themselves when they look back it was okay. But you cannot create peace on your own walking into things that are unknown. Now this, this is crucial to our understanding. So important to understanding. you got to understand that God's peace, shalom, is to create a holy confidence and faith in what God is doing and what God is about to do in your world, in your life, in the place you're in, in the land you're living in, in the situation you find yourself in, in the relationships that you're in, in the problems, the trials, the struggles, the victories, and the wins that you're in. God's peace is for that moment and the ones coming. The whole You have your plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. I want you to know that that actually is reality. It is reality. Maybe you forgot that that's actually Bible. That we have our plans, but the Lord does what he wants. That's the way I look at it sometimes. Proverbs 19.21 in the Amplified says, Many plans are in a man's mind, but it is the Lord's purpose for him that will stand or be carried out. That's why you need peace. Because you see, if it was up to you, and you got your way, and your plan worked out the way you imagined, first of all, it would ruin everyone else's life. Because a world as big as ours can't exist based on the will and the need of one person. We have politicians who try this all the time, and guess what? It fails miserably all the time. It is beyond human comprehension to be able to truly provide the kind of peace we're talking about today. That doesn't stop us from trying. It doesn't stop us from being ambassadors of a very noble idea of peace. But I need you to understand that while you have your plans, it is the Lord's purpose for your life that is going to prevail. And you need to learn, let me tell you right now, by the Holy Spirit, you need to learn to become okay with that. If you want to sleep at night, if you want to understand that God sings and dances over you, that he rejoices over you while you sleep. See, because if we get really honest, your lack of peace is really connected to your unwillingness and lack of trust for God. That's why you don't have peace. And I know it seems callous for me to boil it all down to such a simple thing, but I'm a relatively simple guy. And some things just shouldn't be overcomplicated. If we don't have peace, but we are in the shelter of the wings of the Almighty, what's out of check, us or him? Now, I'm not suggesting it's easy to take hold of. I'm not suggesting we should just blindly be able to walk into and assume things. I mean, it's wise to have plans. It is. We work with our kids on this all the time. What's your plan, son whose name begins with J? (laughs) Apparently, I pick on him too much, so I just won't use his name. I'll just say J, and that way he just knows he's loved, right? Plans are important. The Bible says in the house of the wise there are choice stores of food and wine. 
It's good to have a plan, but let me ask you, how did that work out for Job? Oh, right. But you see, if you can understand in the story of Job what happened, he lost everything. He lost his health. His wife turned against him. His friends turned against him. He lost his children. He lost his herds. He lost his home. He lost everything. But in the end, according to the purposes of the Lord, Job had way more than he had in the beginning. And here I want to tell you another secret to life. You know what? I guarantee you when we get to meet Job in heaven one day, he will be able to tell you how much he cared about the ten times more he had than when he started. Because I can promise you, Job learned more about his heavenly father in that, tri- in that trial, in that fire, in that time. He learned so much about how his father in heaven loves him. I promise you, he didn't care that he was ten times richer than when he started. I promise you, I'll bet you a crown in heaven. I don't know if we're allowed to do that. (laughs) Lord, I'm sorry if we're not allowed to do that. I figure we're all going to lay them at your feet anyways, so it should work out. (laughs) But if you just think about Scripture, convince me that I'm wrong about Job's transition and journey through his horrible trial. I'm convinced that he learned the peace of God in a way that few humans have to learn it. I was thinking about the message this week, and um, I got to go back. This is for someone this morning. Especially, it's a, it's it's especially plan, especially wise to plan, and it's really good to plan wisely. But that will never trump the sovereignty of God's will and purposes for you and I in this world. Listen to me carefully. And I know that this does not give you the answers. But let me ask you an even wiser question. Why is it that you think that you deserve the answers? I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry to tell you that you are not guaranteed the answers you want. You are not guaranteed an answer at all. And that might make you really angry at God. But can I just ask you, if you're going to be mad at God, what's the alternative? Because chaos will not give you answers. Buddha will not give you answers. Pagan gods of mythology will not give you answers either. Remember, Satan wants to erode our willingness to trust our Heavenly Father how it started in the garden. Did God really say you couldn't? The erosion of trust between man and his creator. So as I was thinking about this message this week, talking with my coach, maybe it was even last week, I couldn't really remember, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me some words and pointed to a problem that we have. And he, this, this is what he brought to my attention, that too many People are focused on bracing instead of pacing. With COVID, with everything going on around, I see a lot of people bracing themselves. They're holding on. It's one more rough, t- one more rough patch. We're going to get through. If I can just hold on. Batten down the hatches. Get below deck. Everyone hold on to something. The ride's going to be rough. Just hold on. Anybody getting tired of doing that yet? Yeah. 
I appreciate that our Premier pointed out to the media that perhaps Canadians have reached the outer limits of their willingness to comply with certain things. You, th you think? That's wisdom from on high right there. Um, I'm not, it doesn't matter, just so you know. But too much bracing, not enough pacing, and why? What does that mean? Too many have people have stopped to hold on and brace for impact rather than considering that we are running a race of faith. The whole shut your eyes and hold on mentality might work a time or two. It might work a time or two. But I can promise you that it is not what we are called to because we are actually called what the Bible calls to run the race of faith. And if you don't like running, it's to fight the good fight. To not beat the air as a boxer just warming up, but actually to land some punches. All of these things kind of fly against our, oh, I hate the words, even though they just escaped my mind just like that. Passive-aggressive nature of our society. Oh, the passive-aggressiveness of the world today kills me. I hate it. But I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> see, see what I'm saying? Isn't that annoying? That, that's, that's, that's the way we behave. That's a, that's a hold on to something, just close your eyes, it'll be over soon mentality. If I can just ignore it, it will go away. Uh, that never works. Never ever does that work. Running the race of faith is mentioned just for a few places. Hebrews 12, 1, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Galatians 2, 2, Galatians 5, 7, Philippians 2, 16, Philippians 3, 14, 2 Timothy 4, 7, and then we can also go into the Old Testament that talks about how, like in the book of Psalms, I run in the path of your commandments, God. This is not, this is not an, an unbeaten concept in Scripture. This is an example that is used again and again and again all through Scripture. And if, like I said, if you don't like the verses about running, you can start looking up the verses about fighting. Either way, in the life of a Christ follower, it's about keeping pace, not about bracing yourself. It's about controlling your breathing and staying in that move-forward attitude to put one foot in front of the other knowing that we have a destination that we are working towards, that we are living towards, that we are called towards. Because this is how he wrote it. He said, I press on toward the upward call of Christ. I'm pressing on. I'm not, you, you don't ever read Paul battening down. You don't read about Paul saying, just, just hit the deck cover your ears and your eyes, get your head down and hold on until salvation finds you. That's not how it works. Don't ever forget this. The kingdom of God is ever advancing. It's the gates of hell that are standing still. Come on. Well, God said he's going to build his church. Yeah, God builds a church out of tents. He calls them living stones. Living stones don't stand still. Living stones, they move. The church moves. Well, then why are we in a building project or why are we starting a building project, Pastor Trav? That's stationary. No, that's just a rallying point for the church to gather around. The church moves. 
The church is not stationary. It never has been. If the church was stationary, it would have died with the apostles. The gates of hell are stationary. I don't ever want to be confused with gates of hell. So I will not stand still. I will not duck and dive for cover, hoping that that brings me peace. Isaiah 9, 7 points out that the kingdom of God will ever be advancing, where it reads in verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Guys, the kingdom of God is advancing with or without us. The kingdom of Jesus is advancing, and we can't afford to get caught up in the brace for impact mentality any longer. Since I was a teenager, one of my fears has been that somehow I would miss it, that God would end up passing me by, that I would miss the next move of God. So I've prayed a prayer. God, don't let me miss your move. I don't want to miss the move that you have. I don't want to miss what you're doing. I want to go where you go. I want to be where you're going to be. I will, Lord, I want to be at the epicenter of the thing you're doing whether it's big or small. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, we literally are going to follow Jesus. Well, I just thought I could stand here. You, you, you can't stand if you're following. If you're following, you're going to have to walk. You're going to have to run. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to respond. You're going to have to change your position. The problem with the brace for impact mentality is it means for a time at least your feet have to stop moving. That creates a problem for you and I. John 14, 26, 27, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. The helper has come to help us do what? Come on, I got another pack of gum. The helper has come to help us do what? There's a lot of wrong answers. Oh, man. Oh, there's a full pack. <laughs> what does the Holy Spirit come to help us with? Holy smokes. Believe it or not, that's the right answer. Yeah, that's why you said it. Oh, sorry. I, I tried to boomerang it in there, but I almost hit Jana in the face. He's right because what, of what Philippians says. What does Philippians say? 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, so what, what are all things that we do? Well, it's all things. It's everything that we do. Everything that we do, the Holy Spirit is here to help us with. Really? Well, yeah. What do you think he's talking about? Well, I just thought, you know, Pastor, that he was, he was just here to help me remember things. Well, yeah. He's here to help you remember everything that Jesus taught. Well, I thought he was here to help guide us into all truth. No, that's who he does. He guides you into all truth. But for what? So you can be an eternal student 
and gain knowledge? Well, what's the point? What's the point of gaining knowledge in a world that is lost and going to hell? Because knowledge doesn't save people. Knowledge introduces them to the faith that God wants to give to receive salvation. So knowledge is not an end. Knowledge is a means. Knowledge is a place of development in your and my walk as we go through this life ultimately to wind up in eternity ruling and reigning with Jesus. But it is not the end. It is a means, a partial means to the end. The Helper has come to help us do everything. The Helper came so that husbands could love their wives as Christ loved the church. The Helper comes so that wives can submit in the godly definition to their husbands. For children to obey their parents, for slaves to obey their masters, to live at peace with everyone, to die to self, to crucify the flesh, to share the gospel, to make disciples, to do the good works that God prepared beforehand. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. Now pay attention to the logical layout of this passage we just read. Does it, does it, does it click with your brain at all this morning? The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or fearful. Why on earth did Jesus connect those two thoughts together, one on top of the other? Because let me just break it down. Once again, blue collar, I have cows, I live on a farm, I drive a truck with no tailgate presently because it got bent, ripped out by a stock trailer. I am a simple man. So let me make this simple for you. The Holy Spirit has come to get you and I into a lot of trouble. To call us to hard and difficult things. The Holy Spirit is not calling us to a life of ease or a life of just friendly relations with everyone where there's no cost, there's no sacrifice, there's no real true love. No, the Holy Spirit is coming to guide us into the difficult things that God has prepared for us beforehand. Well, suddenly I don't really like this church anymore. That's okay. It doesn't change what the Bible says. Jesus kind of says it in another way in John 16, 33. Jesus talks to his disciples, and here's what he says. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, you'll have trouble. Why? Why is Jesus calling us to trouble? Can I just tell you it's the wrong question? Here's the right question. Jesus, why don't I feel peace about the trouble you're calling me to? It's not a question of whether or not you will encounter trouble because of being a Christian in this world. You are encountering trouble everywhere right now. And it's going to get worse. And I hate to tell you this, but all of the, eschatol all the eschatological experts in our church worlds these days that can't agree on any of the eschatology, there's a good chance that each one of them is only about 3% right. And you know what that means? that we shouldn't waste a whole lot of time trying to figure out eschatology when we have a commission in front of us. 
Yeah, keep your wick trimmed. Absolutely. Be ready for Jesus to come. But since he hasn't, and we have this moment, should we not ram and batter the gates of hell with everything that we have in us? Okay. Five or six of us are going, guys. We are going to kick the crap out of the gates of hell. And maybe next week a few more. Nah. I, I know we're just like, we're, we're a little Mennonite somehow in this church, even though I'm not Mennonite. It's okay. But, but explain to me why we adopt a standstill mentality, a brace for impact mentality, rather than a, let's get our breathing sorted out, guys, because it's a long run. And we have a ways to go to get to wherever it is that Jesus is taking us. And it doesn't matter how long the journey is. It doesn't matter the obstacles we encounter. Because if he's calling me, I'm going. If he's for me, who can be against me? If he's with me, if he provides for me, what else matters? Guys, too much bracing, not enough pacing. The peace that he gives, the prince of peace, as he gives peace, is declared. And because he declared it, it's already given. And like every other gift of God that has been ever has been given to us, what's our part? To receive it. Make an interpretive dance out of that. What's our, our job? Our job is to receive it. Come on, everybody do it with me. Don't make me be the only one. We receive it. That's the symbol to football referees make, right? When Peter saw Jesus, are you tapping to get me to wrap it up? Yeah, I know. I know. I gave him a short one last Sunday, kind of. Yeah, worship team can come, sure. Fine. They know they can rush me a little if they come. When Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he and the other disciples were literally in a brace for impact moment. Read the story for yourself, Book of Luke. Um, they were stuck in a storm. The Bible says that the waves and the wind were buffeting the boat. They were worried they were going to sink. They were worried they were going to drown. And all they could do was hold on to the very thing that was going to pull them under the water if it ever capsized. How many of you can relate to that feeling in life? I can I can relate to that feeling. The only thing I have to hold on to is actually bigger than me, and if it goes down, it's taken me down with it. It's a common human condition. They were in a brace for impact, literally a storm's coming, batten down the hatches. Everyone get below deck and hope that we make it through this time. And they look out on the waves and the water through the wind and presumably the rain that was falling, and they see a ghost. That's what the Bible says. I mean, I know it says they saw Jesus and thought he was a ghost, but again, just use that wonderful gift of logic and read that again. What did they see when they first looked out on the water? A ghost. They didn't look out and say, oh, guys, I think that's Jesus. Oh, no, wait, it could be a ghost. They didn't do it that way. They looked out and they said, oh no, it's a ghost. They didn't know it was Jesus walking to them on the water. Jesus is walking towards this boat that's about to be swamped, submerged, go down on the water. And Peter, for whatever reason, 
gets it in his head that this is a moment about pacing, not about bracing. And Peter says, and I, I, th- I think this is funny, actually. I really do. Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water. Just so you know, girls, daughters in this church, never try to meet a boy that way. You, 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 it is a, that is a bad system for discovering who someone is. But in Peter's case, it worked out because it was Jesus walking towards him on the water. He said, Lord, if that's you walking on the water, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter, in a moment of fantastic, triumphant faith, steps over the side of the boat, puts his feet on the water, and I'm sure stands there looking around to the amazement of the rest of the disciples. You know, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, I feel kind of bad for saying that was a ghost. Yeah, I do too. Maybe he didn't notice. Peter starts to take his steps towards Jesus. Man of faith who dared to call out to the Lord and step over the edge of that boat. And what happened is Peter began walking through his trouble, through his trial, through his storm. He began to doubt and immediately he began to sink. And Jesus, in the moment that Peter began to sink, the Bible says, grabbed him by the hand and said, you have little faith, why did you doubt? He pulls Peter back up on top of the water and together they walk back to the boat. There's a lot of ways we could wrap that story up and wrap this message up. But guys, this is, this is a one-point message that, yes, I've taken 45 minutes to deliver, and I'm not going to apologize. Because there's too much bracing going on in the church of God. And there's not enough people pacing themselves for the adventure that God has called us to. And because there is bracing instead of pacing, there is no peace in the lives of God's people. Because the truth is, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're not quite there. We're not quite ready to trust God, to take Him at His word, to believe that what He has said will come to pass, even though 6,000 years worth of human beings have tried Him, have tasted and seen that He is good, that He keeps every promise that He makes, that He is faithful and true to His word, that His word goes out and never returns to Him without accomplishing the purpose that He intended it to just a little stuck like the rest of the disciples were like I was when I was about 13 years old climbed up on a roof through a window my father decided that it was time for me to overcome my fear of heights and it was going to make me come down a ladder you can relate to this because it's happened to you on the side of a mountain skiing it's happened to you in other places it's happened to you when you stand up in front of a group of people and you have to say your name out loud Do you know that most people would actually rather die than speak in front of people? Statistically, it's crazy. I was up on a roof and my dad decided I was going to become a man that day, I suppose. He's going to make me come down that ladder. Funny thing about bracing yourself is that your feet stop moving, your hands stop moving, and you start holding on. The tighter you hold on, the weaker you begin to feel. Come on, who knows? The longer you stand on that steep side of the mountain, wondering how you'll stop if you ever start falling, the weaker your knees become. 
Because bracing takes an awful lot of energy from us. Bracing takes the whole body working together stiff and tight to hold on for dear life. The brain starts to say, if you let go, bad things are going to happen. And that message from your brain turns in, if you let go, if you weaken too much, you are literally going to die. You're going to fall off this roof and rebar is going to puncture you through. You're going to be like the guy in the Rescue 911 video. All of the images of people falling off roofs go through my mind. I was stuck on that roof. I don't know if mom and dad remember. It was a long time. She's saying five or six hours. That seems like untruth to me. But I will acknowledge that it was a very long time. It was hours, I'm sure. Eventually, I did come down. I just share that because I'm still afraid of heights today. I will literally punch a grizzly bear in the face. I am unafraid of bears, where most of you would pee your pants. But I cannot go up a ladder. If I climb a ladder to the height of this roof, the ladder will rattle so badly that the, the bottom of the ladder will come out from under it. That's how bad I am on ladders. It's not easy for me to go up or down ladders still to this day. But what I do know is if I stand still, I will get frozen. My friends, whatever you are facing in your life this morning, because you know in your spirit that God has spoken to you, that he has called you to something, that you know you need to move, you need to make some relationship right. Maybe you're living together unmarried, and you know that by the conviction in your heart that you've got to take a step, that something needs to change, but you're, you're bracing against the leading of the Spirit of God. All you're doing is tiring yourself out and making it harder to move in the moment you're actually going to need to move. It's far better to say, what's my next step? Start breathing normally, and then in faith, take the step. In trust of God's goodness, begin to take the step and move forward. Because you want to know what you'll find in that step. It's peace that passes all understanding. And not only, but a peace that will guard your heart and guard your mind Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. Don't miss it. He, he has been given all authority to declare peace in your situation. He has the authority. He has the reins. He has the power. He is the only one who can dictate into your situation that there is peace. And I know it might seem impossible because you're like a teenage kid who was stuck on a roof. But you gotta move. You gotta move. You gotta take a step. You gotta try. You gotta do something. You just gotta do the next right thing. Don't worry about the five things after. Do the next right thing. That right thing for you this morning might actually be to come for prayer. Because you need peace in this season. Because you have suffered loss, and you have suffered pain, and you have suffered tragedy, and you feel that there is no peace for you. But I'm here to tell you this morning, by the Holy Spirit of God, that the Prince of Peace says there can be peace in your situation. It's what he does. It's who he is. Don't miss it. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. 
For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.